Okay, we have so much to get to today. It's hard to know where to start, actually, but let's start right here. I think we all agree that Joe Biden has absolutely zero, less than zero, perhaps, zero constitutional authority to dictate that employers who employ 100 or more employees uh, must coerce those employees to be vaccinated or else the employees may lose their job. So we all agree that that's unconstitutional, right? Of course. So this is one of those times that I think conservatives, at least, not just conservatives, most thinking people in our country, when they heard Biden issue his uh, three-pronged vaccine mandate, um, we knew, we felt intuitively that this was wrong. We knew it was an overreach of federal authority. But if you're anything like me, you wondered, well, what are the specifics? What exactly did, what statute or uh, law or part of the Constitution. What exactly did Biden violate? Why specifically is this illegal? So I dug into it over the weekend um, to figure out exactly where Biden went wrong here. And this is what I found. So um, the Occupations uh, Health and Safety Administration, it's known as OSHA, as part of the Labor Department. Um, there's a rule, or this, by the way, the OSHA was established in, in 1970. This was under Nixon, just FYI, just so you know how old this is. There's a rule from OSHA and the idea of OSHA is so that employers don't have unsafe work environments for their employees, that there are a certain level of standards, hence what it's called, the Occupations Health and Safety Administration. But there's a rule from OSHA called the Emergency Temporary Standard, which allows this agency, the sub-agency of the Labor Department at the executive uh, branch, in the executive branch of our government, to issue temporary rules. Now, temporary rules for employers would allow the agency to bypass the normal procedure. The normal procedure would be, you know, the regulatory process, uh, the rulemaking and regulatory process. This temporary, very important word there, temporary, not permanent rule, the emergency temporary standard allows the Labor Department, OSHA, uh, to issue something to employers that must take effect immediately. So the emergency temporary standard states, and I quote, the secretary shall provide without regard to the requirement of chapter five of title five for an emergency temporary standard to take immediate effect upon publication in the federal registrar if he determines a that employees are exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harm harmful or from new hazards and b that such emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from such danger end quote so that's what the emergency temporary standard under OSHA, under the Labor Department says. And this is the justification that Joe Biden is using to impose this vaccine mandate on employers. So, so many problems here, so many problems. So first of all, OSHA has not, at least as of yet, has not given any reason um, how or why they have determined that all large employers across the entire United States, regardless of their situation, regardless of the environment of their employment, regardless of the demographic, for example, of their employees, OSHA has not said how they determined that all large employers are exposing all of their employees to, quote, grave danger. Grave danger being the standard in the emergency temporary standard that would allow this temporary standard to be imposed on employers versus a permanent one, which would come through Congress. Okay. So emergency temporary standards are temporary. If it's a permanent standard, then it would be very differently governed. Here's the second problem. The second problem is not just that each and every one of us is not in grave danger from COVID-19. I'm not in grave danger of COVID-19 that I know of. I have none of the risk factors. I am a young person. I am a healthy person. I am appropriately 
uh, weight. I have an appropriate weight for my age. I have no underlying health conditions that would put me at higher risk of COVID-19. So I would not be someone who you could identify as being part of an employment as being an employee that would be in grave danger. So that, that of course, was the first, the first problem. The second problem is that emergency temporary standard is temporary, but vaccines are not. Vaccines are permanent. So if, if this were a permanent thing, if this were a permanent standard, then OSHA would actually have a different standard for issuing this rule. They would have to make, and I quote, a threshold finding that a place of employment is unsafe in the sense that significant risks are present and can be eliminated or lessened by a change in practices. And therein lies why the Biden administration is trying to do this on a temporary basis with this emergency temporary standard versus with a permanent change in policy because the threshold, which is basically the burden of proof to use a legal term, the threshold, the standard is totally different if it's a permanent change of practice versus temporary. So two problems, two major problems Problems there. The, the other problem here is, um, you know my thoughts on the administrative state. You know my thoughts on most of these sub-agencies of executive agencies in the federal government. But OSHA has particular problems. And here is um, one of the biggest ones. OSHA, as an agency, is refusing to enforce their own rules They're refusing to enforce their own rules, which stated prior to COVID-19 that employers who mandate vaccinations must record the side effects that their employees suffer from that vaccine. But OSHA has now sidestepped that rule and said, oh, employers that mandate COVID-19 vaccines do not have to record the side effects of that vaccine. So OSHA, again, is now displaying themselves admitting, demonstrating that they are a political agency, a political agency. This is, of course, as we said at the beginning, we all knew intuitively that this is executive overreach on Joe Biden's part. It's similar to when Joe Biden's CDC issued the eviction moratorium um, when they had no right to do that. That's something that must come from Congress, if anywhere. And I would argue, even if it comes from Congress, it's not right or moral or proper or just. Regardless, it cannot come from an executive agency. So, The other part is the emergency temporary standard of OSHA under labor. This rule is questionable to begin with. This is what the National Review wrote about it, the lawyers at the National Review. They said, just this July, the Congressional Research Service updated a report on the emergency standard and noted that OSHA has rarely used this authority in the past, not since the courts struck down its ETS, emergency temporary standard, on asbestos in 1983. In the case of asbestos, a federal appeals court ultimately said OSHA couldn't sufficiently support its claim that 80 workers would die from asbestos exposure if the rule were not implemented. In Biden's speech, he acknowledged that the risk of serious illness is extremely low for anybody who's vaccinated. That means anybody who enters a workplace and has the choice to be vaccinated can protect themselves from grave danger, so it's unclear how an emergency order can be justified." End quote. Exactly. So this has been the problem all along. And we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, further down in the show about the goalposts of vaccination being moved, how it used to be, well, let's make a vaccine so that people can have access to it so that they can make their own choice. And now now the goalposts have been shifted to let's force everyone, regardless of their risk, to take a vaccine. Otherwise, they might lose their job and be socially ostracized. So the burden on Biden's labor department, on OSHA, on this emergency temporary standard are almost certainly not going to be held up in court. 
and I am delighted to make that pronouncement. I certainly hope I'm correct. So Andrew McCarthy, he's a former federal prosecutor. He also says that there's um, there's a constitutional issue, not just an administrative rule or administrative law issue with Biden's order. McCarthy says, quote, the relevant one here is the power to regulate interstate com- commerce. Indeed, the government presumes to regulate medical care extensively, but only indirectly by regulating health insurance. But this is an interstate market, but this is an interstate market cannot be denied that this is, even if the government's regulatory targeting of it is largely pretextual, i.e. progressives are more interested in dictating and eventually rationing medical treatment than in the insurance market. But even under the unjustifiably wide berth, the Supreme Court has given Congress's pretextual invocations of commerce power, especially since the New Deal, the justices nevertheless declined in the 2012 Obamacare ruling to approve a mandate to buy medical insurance. That is because, this is the most important part, that's because the Constitution only permits Congress to regulate ongoing interstate commerce, not to coerce people into engaging in such such commerce. A vaccine is not even commerce, much less interstate commerce, end quote. So as I said, um, many problems with Biden's vaccine mandate here for employers. We intuitively know it's an overreach of power. The OSHA rule from the 1970s under Nixon is hugely problematic. The courts have smacked it down before. The last time it was invoked, the courts smacked it down. The standard or the threshold that OSHA must meet to prove that this is a grave danger to all employees is nearly impossible to prove. And it's not interstate commerce, so the Biden administration really has no business sticking their hands in it at all. Like I said, hopefully the courts will smack this down. I'm Liz Wheeler, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, I think a lot of us, if you're anything like me at least, over the weekend, um, you did a lot of reflecting on 9-11. It's it's kind of impossible for me not to reread and rewatch and rethink about everything that happened on September 11th, 2001. A couple of things that I do at least to commemorate is uh, I either read or I listen to the transcript of Todd Beamer talking to, he was talking to the FBI, he was talking to, um, I think he called 911, so he was talking to the emergency operator, her name was Lisa, um, before before they downed Flight 93, before they decided not to let the people, the American people on that plane, the heroes of United Flight 93, decided not to let the terrorists ram that plane into the White House or the Capitol or where it was headed. Um, I read that transcript. I also um, also watch the news broadcasts from September 11, 2001, just because it was so mind-boggling. It was so horrific to see that dreadful piece of our history unfold before our eyes. And I want to talk about a couple of my reflections, but really how we should be feeling 20 years after 9-11, especially given the environment in our country right now. I want to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Moink Box. So last week, I told you that my husband and I got our first Moink Box. Um, They had sent us our monthly box of all different kinds of meats. And I cooked the salmon for my husband. Um, and I dried it out, so I try, gave it a second run. I gave it a second run, and I made it for him again. And this time, I forgot to set the timer while it was in the oven. 
my excuse is that I was taking care of the baby, but whatever. It was in there for about 10 or 15 minutes longer than it should have been. And my dear sweet husband <laughs> said it was delicious. So I will leave it to you to see if he's if he gave me an accurate pronouncement of that. Either way, um, it's nice to have that delivered to our door. And you can join the Moink movement today too. You can get a box of meat delivered to your month or delivered to your door every month. All you have to do is go to moinkbox.com slash Liz. Go there right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. There's a deal for you. That's one year of the best bacon that you will ever taste, but it is for a limited time. So visit the website now. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Liz. That's moinkbox.com slash Liz. And hopefully you have a cook who will not dry out your salmon, but you know, it is what it is. Moinkbox.com slash Liz. Okay, so on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I think it's very difficult for me to almost process the fact that it's been 20 years since September 11th, 2001. It seems like yesterday. I know I was a pretty small child when 9-11 happened, but we all remember where we were. We all remember what we were doing, who we were talking to, what we were eating, what we smelled. All of our senses were just, I don't know, cemented in our history or in our memory, I should say, because we unfortunately witnessed this dreadful piece of our history uh, alive. I remember I was downstairs. I was homeschooled, so I wasn't at school, but I was downstairs in my parents' basement when this happened. And because I was, what, 11, 11, 12 years old, my mom actually didn't let us watch the TV while it was unfolding because she wanted to see what was happening before she let all of the children see it. Um, And so I knew something bad was happening, but I didn't know exactly what until that night when my dad got home from work and... um, he was telling us all about it. And he, of course, like everyone else, knew who had attacked the United States, knew of al-Qaeda, knew of the Taliban, knew of Osama bin Laden before um, before 9-11 because they had declared war on the United States a lot earlier than 9-11. Uh, I do remember thinking, though, I remember as a child thinking about all of the children of those who had been on the planes. Because I think when you're 11 or 12 years old, you're not thinking of yourself as the adults on the plane. You're Because, you know, you haven't traveled by yourself. You're not traveling anywhere for work. You think, and so I was thinking to myself, wow, what if it had been one of my parents on that plane? And I just remember being so sad, unable to fathom it. But I also remember hoping that if I had, if I ever was in a situation like that myself, I just remember admiring and feeling such, such, immense respect and so proud of the men and women who act so heroically that day and wondering, I wondered if I would ever have the courage to do what they did if I was in that position. And to be honest, every year on 9-11, I still wonder that. I wonder, you know, where did they get such courage? Where did they get such unity on that plane to be able to say, listen, we know we're going to die. We're facing our mortality right now. We're never going to see our family again. We're never going to see our friends again. We don't know each other. Maybe we were even annoyed with each other two minutes before because someone was eating beef jerky next to us, and that's inconsiderate on a plane. Like, who knows what these people were thinking? Probably normal normal air travel thoughts. Maybe people were worried about their connections. Maybe they were tired. Maybe, you know, who knows? Just the the average thought that you would um, think when you're sitting on a plane, and yet in this moment of trauma, in this moment, this emergency, when they knew they were facing death, all of those other things that normal people, average people think when they're flying about each other were just absent. They joined together on United Flight 93 and they decided to change the course of history in our country because of their coordination, because of their unity, because they were able to come together and forget their differences and just do something as Americans. No other identity, just as Americans. They knew that they would lose their lives. 
They knew the flight was going down, but they knew that joining together and not thinking about their divisions, no matter how small, I mean, we don't even know what their divisions are. That's not the part that lives in history. The part that lives in history is their unity. And I thought to myself, and I, I would never be so presumptive as to, you know, put thoughts into these people's into these people's mouths, of course. That would be the height of disrespect. But I do wonder what some of these people who died in 9-11 would think 20 years later. What would they think of our country? Would they what 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 would they think if they if they had lived, if they had survived, and they see that not only have we been in Afghanistan for 20 years, I mean, say what you will about, you know, about how Afghanistan has been botched under pretty much every administration that has had control of it. Not, not, even, not even that for a second, but think about what they would think that the Taliban now has Afghanistan. Again, that Al-Qaeda, which, cost, which murdered them, Al-Qaeda murdered them, those terrorists, those hijackers, cost them their lives, that they now have a foothold again in Afghanistan. But even aside from just the national security or foreign policy or war or terrorism, imagine what the people who died in 9-11 would think of the division in our nation today compared with the unity that they, in the split second that they realized what was happening, that they decided to leverage for good. Because back then, it didn't matter if you were a Democrat or a Republican, on September 12th, or on, on, on September 11th even, later in the afternoon, September 11th, September 12th, we heard President Bush say, I hear you. We hear you. The whole world hears you. And contrast that with today, we hear President Biden essentially targeting the 80 million unvaccinated people in our country, essentially saying, I hate you. We hate you. The whole world thinks you're vermin. In 20 years, that's been the trajectory. That's where we were. That's where we are. Back then, in the wake of 9-11, it didn't matter what political party you were. It didn't matter what your ideology was. For about a year after 9-11, everyone was so unified. We pulled together and we did take out the terrorists in Afghanistan. Like I said, say what you will for how it was handled after, after the initial invasion, but we did take out the terrorists. The world did hear us. And now in the face of COVID-19, in the face of a pandemic, which I'm not, I'm not comparing to terrorism, but it is trauma that our country has undergone, whether or not some of it is self-inflicted by politicians, and I think you can argue that it is. But there's no unity. There's me versus you, her versus him, unvaccinated versus vaccinated, masks versus no masks. I mean, teachers unions versus kids versus parents versus Biden versus everything. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we don't have that same unifying spirit, that ability to recognize that something terrible is happening, and instead of turning on each other, we're able to harness that unity to get the job done. And that, that's kind of what I was thinking, for better or for worse. That's kind of what I was thinking this weekend as, you know, I prayed for the families of those who had lost loved ones on 9-11. I see, you know, the 20-year-later pictures. I watch the broadcasts. I read, by the way, a great something that I do uh, every year, on 9-11, and I, I'm sure a lot of you do the same thing, is read Ari Fleischer's, who was um, Bush's press secretary at the time. I read his tweet thread. He didn't do one this year, but uh, he has old ones that are still, obviously, on Twitter. I read his tweet thread the minute by minute of what it was like to be next to the president on 9-11 the entire day, and it's, it's chilling. It's a great way to remember and to honor 
those who have lost their lives and to remember that we live in the greatest nation that the world has ever known and we do face existential threats. We face existential threats in terrorists who have never ended their war against us. They still want to harm us. We've just kept them at bay the last 20 years in Afghanistan. We face existential threats from um, our nation does or our freedom faces existential threats from Marxists, from Marxists who want to fundamentally dismantle what the United States is and instead rebuild in a communist tradition. And we should unify against anything that would divide us in that way. We should unify against anything that would, that would destroy us. And it doesn't matter if you're conservative. It doesn't matter if you're Republican. It shouldn't matter what your politics are. We should be able to do this if we want our nation to continue to be the greatest nation that the world has ever known. And maybe 9-11 is a good reminder that we, the American people, are at the helm, that we are still the driving force in which direction our country goes, that we don't have to defer you know, to politicians like Biden or unelected bureaucrats like Fauci or terrible governors like Newsom, that we don't have to be resigned to our fate when these people overstep their boundaries, when they, um, when they abuse their power, when they ruin essentially our livelihoods and our businesses. We don't have to turn against each other. We can simply vote them out. We can simply um, refuse to comply. We can simply say, no, we the American people see what you're doing and we're, we're not gonna stand for that. Instead of turning on each other as the politicians would have us do, we can you know, do what those what the heroes on 9-11 did and we can unify in the face of attacks uh, on our liberties and make sure that the whole world hears us doing it. Anyway, that that that's those were my thoughts, how I felt about 9-11, especially given uh, 20 years later, especially given where we are. Uh, in this country, it's it's always a somber day. And for some reason, for a lot of us, 20 years, I think, really hit home. We're going to talk a little bit more about the politicians that I just mentioned and why we've gotten politically to where we are in this country. But first, I want to talk to you about The Spectator. So The Spectator is the longest running magazine in the world. And I think, I mean, anybody who's listening to the show knows how I feel about the mainstream media, right? And there's not too many alternatives the Spectator, however, is one of those alternative. The Spectator believes that journalism must be witty and insightful. And th this is key. The Spectator believes that ideas should be discussed without the constant threat of cancellation. Imagine if other media outlets, by the way, actually had that as a thesis. Our country would be totally different. Well, The Spectator is taking the lead on this. They never confuse the serious with the dull. They're not right-wing or left-wing. They believe in challenging, informing, and entertaining readers. So join me today, sign up, and you will receive three months of both the print and the digital magazine. Plus, you will receive a free Spectator hat. Just use the offer code Liz at checkout to redeem this special offer. It's just for listeners of this show. Just go to spectatorworld.com slash special offer and use offer code Liz. Even if you disagree with the politics, you are guaranteed to be entertained by The Spectator. So sign up today to get three months of The Spectator for free, plus a free hat. Subscribe today, spectatorworld.com slash special offer, offer code Liz at checkout to redeem your offer. So one of the reasons that I believe we are where we are in our nation today is because the American people do not trust our government officials. And I would say our elected officials, but many of those that we don't trust are not elected. Many of those we don't trust are bureaucrats in the administrative state. You all know who I'm talking about. Of course, talking about Fauci. Of course, I am talking about Fauci. We don't trust these people for several reasons. 
Fauci, and I'm just going to use him specifically. I'm not going to talk hypothetically or vaguely. I'm talking about Anthony Fauci. There are others who meet this bill, but Anthony Fauci is unaccountable to us. We didn't elect him. He wasn't confirmed. He's unaccountable to the voter, and he acts like he's unaccountable to the voter. He acts like he has some kind of dictatorial power. Meanwhile, he's supposed to uh, be an arbiter of science in his role, but he's not. And this, this is what I mean. There was a video for, of Dr. Fauci that circulated this weekend because of the question that is on all of our minds in the face of Biden's vaccine mandate. So we established earlier, it's unconstitutional, it's illegal, that's wrong. But there's also a big question of uh, setting aside the unconstitutionality of it. It practically, I would argue actually that it's medically unethical because it does not include exemptions or exceptions for people who have natural immunity to COVID-19. And recent studies have shown, we've talked about this on the show a couple times already, recent studies show that not only is natural immunity robust and long-lasting, it's actually more robust, more long-lasting than artificial immunity via vaccine. So I would argue it's medically unethical to try to force people with natural immunity to degrade the quality of their immunity with a vaccine. But when Dr. Fauci was asked about this, and know that Dr. Fauci is a key advisor to Biden on all of these things. That's why he's on television all the time. He's the spokesperson for President Biden on these issues. He was asked about natural immunity. He acted like he had never even thought of this concept. Take a listen to this. There was a study that came out of Israel about natural immunity. And basically the headline was that natural immunity provides a lot of protection, even better than the vaccines alone. Um, how, what, are, what are people to make of that? So, so as we talk about vaccine mandates, there are, I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID. I'm protected. And now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The one thing the paper from Israel didn't tell you is whether or not as high as the protection is with natural infection, what's the durability compared to the durability mm. of a vaccine? So it is conceivable that you got infected, you're protected, but you may not be protected for an indefinite period of time. So I think that is something that we need to sit down and discuss seriously because you very appropriately pointed out it is an issue and there could be an argument for saying what you said. This makes zero sense to me because there's a page on the CDC website. I highly recommend you go look at it. This page on the CDC website says that there were 120.2 million COVID-19 infections in the United States alone. 120 million COVID-19 infections. That means 120 million Americans are immune to COVID-19. They have antibodies. They are immune. They have natural immunity. And by the way, this 120 million people on the CDC's website this particular page was last updated on May 29th of 2021. So what does that mean? That means that since that was months and months ago, there are millions more who have been infected since then. So there are millions and millions more who have natural immunity. Why are these people not factoring into public policy? It doesn't take an epidemiologist, a scientist, doesn't even take you know, a physicist, a rocket scientist, whatever you think the smartest of the smart are, it doesn't take a genius to wonder why these people are being excluded from the vaccine mandates. Yet Dr. Fauci, who plays a key role in helping Biden formulate these policies and these mandates, 
says he doesn't have a good answer about why they're not excluded. I'll tell you why they're not excluded. Dr. Fauci just doesn't want to say it. They're not excluded because of the science. They're excluded because of politics. They're ignored, I should say, because of politics. Because this is essentially, if you actually ask Dr. Fauci or even Joe Biden, maybe if he was having a a coherent day, this is what a Democrat would say. They would say, well, if we make exceptions for those with natural immunity, meaning if people with natural immunity are not required to be vaccinated, then everybody is going to claim they have natural immunity. Everybody who had any kind of respiratory illness in the last year and a half is going to say, oh, I had COVID-19, therefore I don't need to be vaccinated. So the argument from the left is going to be, well, even if it degrades natural immunity, we should force people with natural immunity to downgrade their immunity via vaccine because of a few people lying or misrepresenting. Even if you misrepresent in good faith, maybe you really thought you had COVID-19. That's why. They won't say that. The public health officials won't say that, but that's why they're ignoring natural immunity. And that's best case scenario. That's even ignoring anybody that has a profit incentive or control or anything like that. But it's just politics, pure and simple. It's politics. But this is why, by the way, this is why the American people don't trust their public health officials, especially Fauci, because everything that comes out of Fauci's mouth is manipulation. He won't just say what it is that he thinks and say what action he wants you to take and why with a scientific justification. Even if you disagree with somebody, you can at least respect somebody on an opposite position of yours if they are honest with you. But Fauci is not honest. He's manipulative. He says certain things just to try to alter people's behavior in a certain way. He withholds information to try to impact people's behavior. And that's the definition of manipulation. He's also extreme on these things. Fauci admitted that he thinks Biden's vaccine mandates, which come with a testing opt-out, meaning you can, you can test every week, If you're an employee, you can test every week and therefore you don't have to prove that you've been vaccinated. He called these mandates with the exceptions moderate. Listen. Well, I think the president is, 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 you know, being somewhat moderate in his demand, if you want to call it that, in that there are some people who really don't want to get vaccinated, but they don't want to lose their job. You got to give them an off lane. And the off lane is if you get tested frequently enough and find out you're positive, you won't come to work and you won't infect other people. So it really is somewhat of a compromise there. Myself, I would make it just vaccinate or not, but he was trying to be moderate in what his pronouncement was. Moderate. I mean, I think you and I sitting here, we think, and rightly so, we are correct, that this is some of the most extreme abuse of power that our nation has seen. That when government officials try to force you to inject something into yourself when you don't want to, And the penalty for not doing that is you lose your job or you lose entrance to restaurants, bars, gyms. Essentially, you become socially ostracized. If that's moderate, dear God, I would love if some enterprising reporter would ask Dr. Fauci, what do you think is extreme? What do you actually want to see if you think that what's happening right now is moderate? This is why the American people don't trust their government. Because Joe Biden talks condescendingly to us, condescendingly to Trump voters. He calls the 80 million Americans who haven't been vaccinated. He says, we're frustrated with you. I understand people's anger with you. He's treating people like pathogens. And Dr. Fauci is trying to manipulate them. 
So who can blame the American people for not, for not trusting? The result of these moderate vaccine mandates, by the way, it, it's actually hurting. They claim that they're doing this in the name of saving lives, but it's actually hurting people's lives. And I'll give you a concrete example of this. There's a hospital in New York. Um, it's the Lewis County General Hospital. It's in Lowellville, New York. And they are stopping the delivery of babies. Now, I'm not talking about like stopping a baby coming out of a mother. I'm talking about they are discontinuing their labor and delivery ward because they had too many healthcare workers quit their jobs because of the vaccine mandates. This, by the way, is exactly what healthcare workers should do because the demand for healthcare will outweigh the employer's desire to impose this mandate. So kudos to these workers for following their consciences, taking care of themselves and their bodies if they believe that they should not get the vax. But th this is what happens. I mean, there are going to be there are going to be people, there are going to be mothers who have basically had the rug pulled out from under them because of this mandate, not because the healthcare workers quit, because of the mandate. People are going to be hurt. This is going to happen all across the country when it when it comes down to the date, meaning when it comes down to the actual date that healthcare workers have to be vaccinated. A lot of them are going to quit, and what's going to happen? There's already a nurse shortage. There's already a doctor shortage. Already a provider shortage, and it's going to be even more so. And so lines are going to get longer. There's going to essentially be a sort of rationing because you're going to have to pick and choose who to treat when you don't have enough people to treat. If you want to follow what the left wants to do, the left wants you to pick just the vaccinated people to take care of. This is from the top of our government. This tone of voice that Biden uses toward, used towards the American people, I said this last week, was the most divisive, mean, vicious, dehumanizing tone of voice that I've ever heard an American president use when addressing the American people. And again, the result of this is not saving lives. They can tell themselves that they're trying to save lives, but that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is they are going to hurt people. People are going to be hurt. Okay, I want to talk about the nuttiest woman on the internet in just a moment, but first I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how a VPN works, right? It protects your privacy and your family security online. But I did not know until recently that you can also use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only, at least ostensibly, available in other countries. All you do is you fire up the ExpressVPN app, you change your location to any other country, you refresh your streaming service, and that's all there is to it. See, ExpressVPN, the way it works is it hides your IP address and then it lets you control where you want those websites to think you're located, even if you're not. So you can choose from almost 100 different countries, so think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. And it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. Now, there are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is the best because it is ridiculously fast. If you're anything like me, and I think you are, then you don't like buffering, you don't like lag. Um, well, good, because ExpressVPN has none of that. You can stream in HD, no problem. It works with all of your devices. You can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's right, support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself and your family online at expressvpn.com Liz. You'll be glad you did it. Now, it, it, the mainstream media is always um, a mouthpiece for the left. And when I asked the question before, someone should ask Dr. Fauci, well, what do you want? Dr. Fauci actually admitted that what he wants is he wants um, a vaccine passport for air travel. If you want to get on an airplane, if you want to travel somewhere, Dr. Fauci wants you to be, uh, wants to ensure that you are vaccinated. He wants to coerce you into being vaccinated or else try to deprive you of your ability to get on an airplane. And on CNN... 
CNN constantly highlights a woman named Dr. Leanna Wen. If you're not familiar with her, they always um, they always headline her as an ER physician, but actually she's the former president of Planned Parenthood. She is an absolute total nutcase, nuttiest woman on the airwaves, and she claimed that air travel is not a constitutional right. But beyond that being totally insane, a totally insane excuse and not the purview of the federal government, um, they have enumerated powers. They aren't simply free to deprive you of anything because it's not specifically a constitutional right. Um, she said something in this particular clip that is extremely illuminating. Take a listen to this. I absolutely think we should have that requirement. I think it was a major oversight on the part of the Biden administration to not issue this yesterday. And we have to talk about the reason. The reason isn't so much that we need to keep our, our train travel and plane travel even safer. They are pretty safe, although I definitely think that having a vaccine requirement would make it even safer and probably encourage many people who are vaccinated or who have young kids and want to protect them. Um, maybe it'll help to encourage those people to start traveling again. But there's an even bigger reason too, which is I think we really need to make it clear that there are privileges associated with being an American, that if you wish to have these privileges, you need to get vaccinated. Travel and having the right to travel in our state, it's not a constitutional right as far as, I'm, as, far as I know to, um, to, to, uh, to board a plane. And so saying that if you want to stay unvaccinated, that's your choice. But if you want to travel, you better go get that vaccine. So she's a tyrant. Now, again, you have to look at the optics here. CNN, for their medical uh, advisors, they have Dr. Leanna Wen, who they don't tell you is a former president of Planned Parenthood. That's her highest level job that she's ever had. So it's very odd that they're not billing her as that. And then right underneath her, I don't know if you uh, noticed that, in the box on the screen at the bottom in the left was Jeffrey Tubin. These are the folks that CNN is having. Man, they're trotting out the best and the brightest, aren't they? Um, here's the thing. Dr. Leanna Wen is clearly a nutcase, but she also admitted something that I think is going to harm the left's argument for air travel vaccine mandates. And she said, air travel is not particularly risky. She said it's mostly safe. And she's correct. All the studies have shown that flying on an airplane might actually be one of the, uh, one of the places, one of the most crowded, gross places that doesn't transmit COVID-19. There aren't a ton of COVID-19 cases that are traced back to um, airplanes. And she admits this. She said it's safe, and then she admits, but even if it's safe, this is a good way to coerce people into doing it. This is the attitude of public health officials. I know she works for the mainstream media. She doesn't work for government. At least right now, she doesn't. But this is what the left wants to do. This is why the American people has so, have so much distrust for the media, have so much distrust for public health officials like Dr. Fauci, have so much distrust for the Biden administration. Because they want to manipulate us they lie to us, they treat us like idiots, and they try to revoke our liberty because they think that they know best. This, I mean, this, this stuff is really nutty. It's really nutty, and it explains the division in our nation, but it should be the job of the president. Part of the job of the president is to make sure that he remembers that he's the president of all Americans and not just the president of those who voted for him. Joe Biden clearly has neglected that part of his duty. Now, like I said, all of this stuff is unscientific. We just went through why. But the other part of this pandemic that still, I think, gets people is masking. It's masking, especially the masking of children. 
So we have the situation where if you're over two years old in this country, even on airplanes, we'll use airplanes as an example. If you're over two years old, because that's under the purview of the government, not the private sector, then if you're over two years old, you're forced to wear a mask under penalty of federal law. So here's the thing. No other country except the United States forces children to wear masks if they're under six. And most other countries don't require masks for anybody 12 and under. Even the World Health Organization says no masks for kids under six. Yet in the U.S., this age, again, is two years old. Two years old, tiny babies. Some two-year-olds can't even talk. And this is based on no data, no studies, no science whatsoever. It's completely arbitrary. Or is it completely arbitrary? We have to ask, well, where did this come from? Because the CDC's current guidance on masks, right? That, that was on planes that I was using that example. But they're, they're masks in school, for children in school. They said it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Everyone in schools has to wear masks. But where did this come from? Emails, new emails reveal that the teachers' unions were the ones who wanted this to happen. It's not based on science. It's not even based on the CDC's best judgment. It's based on the political interests of the Biden administration wanting the teachers' unions to be on their side, wanting money from the teachers' unions, wanting the teachers' unions to indoctrinate the kids, wanting to be buddy-buddy with these teachers' unions. So again, coming full circle here, this is why the American people don't trust our government. This is why the American people have questions And we should have questions. And we should question what the government is telling us that we shouldn't ask questions about injecting into our bodies. And if, if you're in a situation, and this is the situation that we're in in the United States of America right now, if you're in a situation where you're forced to take a vaccine and the result is public health officials and politicians are demonizing you because you won't, saying they're frustrated with you, that none of your reasons are valid, that everyone should do this without question, well, it's time to take a step back and ask ourselves, is this where we want our country to be? Do we want to live in a country that is so divided that our politicians are scolding us, that they forget that they work for us, that people are turning on each other instead of helping each other, that we are divided instead of unified? And if we've gotten to this point, then we should stop and think, how have we gotten here? Why? And what can we do to reunite so that we can be the United States of America that we want for ourselves and our children? At least that's what I thought this past week, especially in the wake of 9-11, because man, out of great adversity comes great achievement and great unity, except COVID-19. Out of COVID-19 has come more division than our country has ever known, and I don't think that we should let that stand. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for watching. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. We are out of time for today. Lots more to talk about this week. We will be back. But in the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.